Hello, everybody. Here with uh, author John Willis. Uh, I want to talk about your new book, Profound, all about all about Deming. How you doing, Don? Good, good. Yeah, thank Deming. So uh, profound, huh? It's a uh, pretty uh, profound. Yeah, <laughs> full yeah, pun in, yeah. full pun intended. Uh, yeah. You know why? Why'd you go that route? Yeah, you know, there's, there's something. Um, you know, I was thinking about this question. The um, there's a point at which somebody asked Deming about his experience in Japan, and there's always been this debate about, you know, was it Joran, was it this guy, was it that guy? And it's yeah. sort of a stupid debate. It was all of the above. But yeah. he made this comment, and it said, he said, uh, that, but I'll tell you this, there was only one person who had profound knowledge in Japan. The thing about Deming is he was always very specific about the words he chose. Now, one interpretation of that is this egotistical son of a gun, right? But like me, of these like 10 years of understanding this guy, mm-hmm. what he meant was he wasn't saying he was the smartest guy in Japan. He was the only person who understood this thing called profound knowledge. And, and the reason why this book, you know, as, as I started learning more and more about how I wanted to tell this book, Deming has this thing called the system of profound knowledge. This was his, um, you know, sort of his capstone. He, he basically codified this idea at like 92, put it in his last book at 93 years old, was published. The world got to see his sort of manifesto of this idea of system profound knowledge. One of the things I learned is sort of um, going into sort of researching Deming and like, it's like this, uh, you know, peeling an onion, like you just keep learning more and more. Mm. That is that, um, that I wanted to, I knew profound knowledge. And it took me many years to really understand what the system of profound knowledge was. And it's rooted in something that he would call early in his career profound knowledge. And, and basically profound knowledge is made up of four pieces. It's made up of something called the theory of knowledge. It's made up of something called the theory of variation. And it's made up of the theory of psychology. And then what he called, uh, for some reason, he didn't call it theory of systems thinking, called mm-hmm. appreciation of system, but systems thinking. And one of the things I wanted to do in this book was, um, first and foremost, figure out his journey of how he accumulated this knowledge to be in his 90s, to feel like it was, excuse the pun, so profound that he had to write about it. And so I wanted to track his journey. And, And what I found was the journey was far more interesting than the system of knowledge because it it glued together all the ideas that we think about in DevOps and Agile and Lean. These were the fundamental principles. And so it's twofold. One is I wanted to have a book that told you why those were important, not only in 1930, but in 2023. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to figure out what was the DNA behind him understanding and learning and and and, and Getting to that point yeah. where he felt he had to express it. So, I mean, for those that don't fully, they may have heard the name, you know, W. Edwards Deming, Edward Deming. But what, uh, why is this so important, right? I mean, I, I think it's kind of like, oh, okay, there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, business improvement, operational improvement, and things like that. Like, what, what's so profound, <laughs> right, yeah, about, yeah. about him and sort of what's the impact that he's had you know, to where we are today, right? I mean, you say, well, what's, what's the lasting impact, I would say? Yeah. What was his impact and what was his lasting impact? And the thing was that, you know, so like 
One of the things that Deming started expressing in the middle or late in his career is this notion of complexity. So today we have all our complexity sciences. And, yeah. And, uh, but he started expressing that the only way to really understand complexity was, it was like, I, I used an analogy, I think I got it from something that he had wrote, but uh, was that if you think about like a, the perfect picture in a camera, mm -hmm. right? And how do you, you know, what, what is a picture? When you see a picture that's done by a, a real photographer, an artist, mm -hmm. there's notion, there's speed, there's lighting, there's all these variables. Mm -hmm. And depending on how you adjust those variables, um, you get a different picture. Yeah. You know, one of the things in the book I use the, the perfect picture of, as a story, as the analogy for some of this, which is the, the sailor grabbing the woman in Times Square and kissing her. Yeah. Like, that's a perfect, that picture, like, done differently by a different photographer or the motion, the speed, the lighting. Yeah. It would have been lost in history. Well, yeah. just a yeah. different story. Yeah. And so Deming saw this idea of profound knowledge, much like that, to figure out complexity. Like you have to sort of dial in these four principles and, and to be able to understand complexity. And so like you need to understand theory of knowledge, which is really just scientific thinking. It's scientific method. It's epistemology. It's, it's the things that Mike Rother writes about. It's what we know of what Lean was very good at, what Steven Spear writes about. So that's one of the, that maybe that's the speed or the aperture. And then there is... Um, the theory of variation. So let me step back. The, the theory of knowledge is basically at its core is how do we know what we think we know? Mm -hmm. Like, do we really, like, like, let's question what we know. Yeah. We see that as PDSA. And, and then the theory of variation, people call it just statistical, but it really is how do we understand what we think we know? Hmm. Like, it becomes, like, he, he defined this term that drove all the sort of classic statisticians. He called it analytical statistics versus enumerated, right? And like I can go deeper into that, but I won't right now. But the point is, it wasn't just statistical process control. It was this idea of like, how do you take the sort of the, the, the shutter speed of knowledge and then use the lighting of, um, of the sort of understanding, in this case, it's statistical and analytical statistics. And then even if you get all that right, the third lens or third piece of this sort of perfect lens is psychology, theory of psychology, which is every human is unique. Deming basically, from earliest in his career, was a humanist. He mm -hmm. saw, always saw the solution to how do you make the sort of betterment of humans. And, and like that whole, all the body of work that we espouse, you know, the senge, the, all that stuff, is all around sort of cognition, intrinsic motivation, and and so again, that's yeah. the that's the third. Let me just add the oh, fourth sure. piece, yeah. which is so you got all that, and it's mm -hmm. sort of brilliance to add the psychology into those first two. But then the last piece is you have to have an appreciation for systems thinking. Yeah, like you like all the sort of knowledge we know about systems. This is all absolutely a thousand percent relative to how we're trying to solve these complex problems today. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think that's what I was going to ask is you know how how revolutionary. No, that's that's the correct term or not? Was that kind of thinking? It feels like a lot of things that we take for granted today is sort of the DNA of you know modern business practices or you know how you think about managing modern organizations. How much of a radical departure was that in Deming's time from what the standard conventional wisdom 
was. Well, I mean, you know, if you go back to what I said in the original, when the uh, reporter asked him about his experience in Japan, he said there was only one person with profound knowledge in Japan. Mm -hmm. Again, he wasn't saying he was the smartest person, or his, but what he was saying is, this is how I helped Japan yeah. become the phoenix from the ashes, right? And what what happened, what what was profound is the results of the miracle in Japan. Yeah, how what Japan did, what Toyota did, what all those companies did to the American economy yeah. for like decades, starting in the sort of late seventies, eighties, and nineties. And you know, one of the things I found very interesting about the book is, it, it's it's part biography but it doesn't go into the a lot of biographies yeah. go into a, a tremendous amount of detail yeah it's more like stories about deming and about sort of how you know or, or i guess I, I took the stories you picked that show sort of the genesis or either the inaction or the genesis of some of these of some of these ideas uh you know how intentional was that and you know how, how much do you think that that experiential growth is important to understanding the system system of profound knowledge versus just an encyclopedia explanation of the system of profound knowledge. Yeah. No. So what happened was, you know, sort of early on, um, you know, the, it was the DevOps days um, in uh, not Mountain View. It was the one. Um, it was the third U.S. DevOps days, I think, the mm -hmm. the one we ran in Santa Clara. Okay. Right, and uh, Ben Rockwood ran. Um, this um, uh, open space on um, Goal Rat and theory constraints, mm -hmm. and then during and I was all in at that point. Like we had all read the early copies of Phoenix Project. Gene had given us the backdrop of Elliot Goal Rats, and no sooner we got started and me pontificating about Goal Rat this and and Ben sort of he doesn't do this but sort of pats me on the head. Oh John John, this all this comes from Deming. Yeah. Like, what? Who's this Deming guy? Right? And it started me on this like crazy journey. And what I found in this journey, I was fascinated from day one, like hooked. In fact, everybody I interview on my podcast who's been sort of a Deming, they, like they all have this like hooked moment, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, but what I started hearing is these interesting side stories. And, like the, and, and I started reading all the Deming books, right? Yep. And if there's, I, I just recently sort of codified all the books. It's like 15 reasonably books that I would say are good Deming books. Some are great, some of them is good. Um, they all have the same pattern. A little bit about his bio, uh, a little bit sort of some impact, mm -hmm. and then all about his sort of management theories. Mm -hmm. they're, they're almost all identical. I mean, mm -hmm. some a little more bio, but like, and none of them tell like storytelling, yeah. right? They're, none of them are like they're, they're like they're all overloaded, which is good, right? Like people need to understand the principles, the sort of Deming methodologies. But I was also always been a big fan, you know, a couple of authors I really like, um, which is Bill Bryson, and uh, and I love um, Michael Lewis, and I love what Michael Lewis does with like like he tells, it's actually a biography. But you don't know that it's about Moneyball is a classic example, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It really is a biography about Billy Bean, but you don't like it, or, or it's a story about um, you know sabermetrics in baseball. Mm -hmm. But like you, you like you get storytelling, and yeah. Gladwell is like that. And these are some of my favorite authors, you know, which like some people would say, you know, they all you know, the, those are sort of not the intellectual versions but like I love the way they tell stories and when I but, you know one of the first stories I found and I have a whole chapter on this woman her name is Doris Quinn mm. 
And she's this fascinating story all to herself. She started out as a nurse at like uh, MD Anderson, you know, in, uh, in Houston. And she, she made some breakthrough about time and usage and just, just, and I've interviewed her. Like, she's like, yeah, no, I got lucky. But, but she sort of got on this path to becoming, and by the time she's in the, uh, by the time we get to the like 1980s, mm-hmm. she's one of the top healthcare quality experts on the planet. Mm-hmm. Right, so she gets herself to get a PhD, a doctorate. She becomes a professor. I mean, she accomplishes every. So one of the things along the way was they sent her to a Deming seminar, and and so Deming heard her talk about some stuff and was just fascinated. I cover what my opinion is in my interview with her of what that fascinated. It was basically it was a theory of psychology thing that she'd done in New Guinea, mm-hmm. right. And so he, in this meeting, pulls her over and invites her to dinner, and they create a friendship of where the last year of Deming's life, she travels as a travel part. So she's going to GM, and, and he's just fascinated with just, like she would say that if she showed up for, um, on a plane ride to go to sort of General Motors or something like that, and she didn't have like three or four questions, which by the way, which is in working backward, they yeah. say that Bezos was exactly like this. <laughs> right, too. Right. You'd get in trouble if you showed up on that flight and you didn't have a whole lot of content to work on during the plane with him. Yeah. She said, man, you, he would get so mad at me. And so there was just, that was an incredible story. And I kept finding yeah. these like Hawthorne works. I found all these like Forrest Gumpian like weaving yeah. around it. And I was like, that's the way, I'm gonna write a book of untold stories that storytelling, but teaches you profound knowledge and yeah. why it's important. Well, which I think is makes it very it's accessible and it makes it you know it's very impactful because you can it makes you think. I guess what is there a story or two that that impacted you the most that you didn't really think about before, or in in retelling it, or in researching it, or, or you know that that changed your mind, or or, or you know or uh, added to your. <laughs> To your system of knowledge. You know, it, it's funny because it's just, um, it, it just, every time I dig deeper, I, I get a f- deeper understanding of what he was trying to say. And I think that's yeah. why a lot of people say, yeah, Demi seems great, but I don't know what I, you know, because there's so many, but I guess the, you know, one of the things I didn't know, because like I said, I went back and I wanted to understand where did he get these sort of pillars, Yeah, the, the four, the knowledge. And you know, knowledge is pretty simple. It comes from Walter Schuert. You know, um, un- like actually invented at Hawthorne work. So I knew the Hawthorne. So I had three chapters, be- one, like for years before I got serious about mm-hmm. the book. You know, one was the Doris Quinn. I knew that had to be a chapter. I had the Hawthorne works where they had the Hawthorne effect. And like it was this, you know, it was an interesting. I interviewed a guy who wrote a book about, he's a librarian, library of science, that wrote a book about Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he said that, he said that, you know, back basically in 1925, 26, this is when Deming interned there. Mm-hmm. That if you were basically talking about cars, you were talking about Detroit. If you were talking about steel, you were talking about Pittsburgh. If you were talking about electronics and telephones, you were talking about Hawthorne. Mm. Like it was, like imagine what's going on in Silicon Valley. Like, yep. Telephones, yep. this like amazing new right. thing, and it's all the the the, the sort of the, the 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 place. The foundation is there. He's there. Yeah. There's these experiments that invent sociology. There's Walter Stewart creates this thing. So Hawthorne was another story, um, and then the, my hook story was always been the um, the you know why Japan can, if Japan can why can't we? So yeah. I start the book off with that. And when I 
my spin on that was a lot of people have told that story. It's a documentary. Deming's 80 years old. Japan's beating the crap out of us, right. right? And now we find out in an NBC documentary the reason they're beating the crap out of us yeah. is this American like prime time, prime right? time uh, documentary. Yeah. But what was more fascinating about that story is that um, one of the things I found out, like his grandson was and they're, and they're all sitting around like why is my dad grandma not going to be on tv right. and he wouldn't say a word yeah. and they're all listening to this and then you know the um the the ceo of ford calls him and invites him in but um you know but what i wanted to i build this sort of crescendo of like what it was like in 19 because i was i was there right like i was getting my driver's license driving right like and like it was like you didn't you feel like america had lost uh, we 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 bowed out of the Olympics. Where gas prices is everything is just terrible. And I said so in the book. I said you know like this is what it looked like in 1980. But you know we got one last thing in America. Like sort of an American graffiti. Like we love our cars. Don't screw with our cars. Yeah. And then we get like the Japan is now screwing with our like our sort of yeah. apple pie and and yeah. cars and and this documentary that tells us that the reason why our cars are getting screwed with. Is because some American <laughs> helped do it, so that's the hook. But the thing I found the most fascinating. Let me ask you a question about that. Do you think Americans felt like? Do you think you feel worse because we have the knowledge and we let it get away, or do you think people felt better because they, oh, we can do this? It, there, there was an American behind the scenes after. Uh, there you, was know, behind the, you know, I, like there's American behind the scenes after all. I think know? the former is um, like they just didn't. They were clueless. They just yeah. didn't know no. what had happened. I talk about what he did pre, pre-war. Yeah, no, you know, yeah. and then no. they just threw it all away. So I don't think that was yeah. on anybody's mind. I think there probably was an element well, of like, oh, yeah. we could do this. It was an American. Yeah. Of course, it was it, American. It, yeah, it, like. It, it, so it's interesting. I, I think starting the book that way is because it is a, such a compelling story because yeah, it brings yeah, along something yeah. you may have seen as a kid or right, you know, right. like it's, it brings something that that it's a cultural and you know phenomenon at the time right. that was like that was was going on. But it's not a history book. I mean, it's kind of interesting about this, right? So you know, it's a lot of history. You stir these stories, but you know, to me, it felt like it's serving the end of explaining business today, right? So, I mean, how in your mind, yeah. how, how do you draw the connection between the historical storytelling of, you know, where these ideas came from? Um, but what's the value to today? Like, how do you draw that connection to what's going on today and the things that, you know, you hear about, you know, kind of the evolution of, of lean, right? And, right, and right. agile and DevOps. And, and then you've got the digital transformation world. All of this stuff is all sort of building on mm-hmm. the modern digital knowledge work factory is all evolving and improving based on yeah. these seeds of ideas. But, you know, like, why is the relevance of the history in learning about this? How do you apply it to, to today? How do you draw those connections? Yeah, no, um, yeah, you actually helped me, you know, because uh, one of the things I did early on, which was, you know, I've worked with this consultant and he's helped me write the book and, mm-hmm. and we're working on another book together. But I I, um, I said, you know, there's three people I have to show the outline of this. You know, like, Yeah, it was you, it was my friend Curtis and Ben Rockwood, who was yeah. the target, one of the target readers. Um, and you basically, working backwards had just come out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, you know, you were like, you know what, if there's a way for you to sort of show that connection. Because when you read Working Backwards, and you understand it's the Amazon and the, book, and the, the way, yeah. right Amazon it's about it's about how you know Amazon their operating model I guess we'd yeah, say yeah. for inside their company for making decisions and you know and how they manage you yeah. know to the outcomes they get 
but you read about it, it's like, oh, it's 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 a pole based model. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other phrase to me goes, oh, it's that's lean, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, but, and it's all so it, it's all, and so and so to me, I was like, wait a minute, like this is just like this thing hanging out there in the world, like Amazon does this. Yeah. But well, it's like, but where did that come from? It's even better. Yeah. So like, you know, in the beginning of the prologue, I, I, I had this line, I said, you know, I pulled a thread and I found the tapestry, right? So from that, I started researching and probably Jeff Bezos said the most significant person in all of Amazon is a guy named Jeff Wilkie. Mm-hmm. So Jeff Wilkie is basically part of like, he's Six Sigma, he's he's documented all in lean, he's an expert. Mm-hmm. And also what is Amazon getting to the point? They've got to change the game in distribution. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, good or bad, Bezos, I, you know, I don't care what you think of him. Like, the, his one of his strongest qualities is to know what he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And he knew he had to find somebody. So he brings in Wilkie. Wilkie basically redefines distribution for retail. You know, the distribution the distribution centers, the model, yeah. all yeah. that stuff. Right? It's all in that book. What's interesting is, as I'm pulling that thread, you guess who got hired at the same exact time for a very similar problem for shipping computers? Tim Cook. Hmm. So Tim Cook wow. is a supply. Fact goes to went to Auburn, but he's a, um, he's a sort of genius supply chain guy. Yeah, all lean and all that. So if you look at what Apple and Amazon have sort of the paved road of what's happened there, mm-hmm. it undeniably goes back to Deming, mm-hmm. right? I mean, right. I can't find direct quotes from Wilkie saying I read Deming and did this, but like if you look at his background, you look at Tim Cook's background, right? And um, so like. And so, like, I think we've talked over and over and over about, like, the, you know, let me my Deming to DevOps presentation, right? Which yeah. is, like, you know, it starts with Deming, it turns into Toyota, Toyota becomes lean, Agile sort of becomes a sort of a drafting of that, and DevOps is all yeah. the above put together. So it all goes back to Deming. But when I was able to thread, and so the last third of my book is all about the sort of future, like the stuff that... A Deming set the seed for, which changed everything. Yeah. You know, and again, we I could tell more stories. I still have to cut more pages out of my book, but but um, you know, right now 350 pages. But uh, the um, so I, I I even cut down on the Tim Cook story. But like 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 we could use just those two as poster children for like, oh my God, look what happened from yeah. there. But then um, so part of that last section of the book is his impact, mm-hmm. how I can directly relate that to profound knowledge. But then more importantly, what I started realizing that sort of thread the tapestry to get built was how relevant his ideas were to cyber. So the end of the book is all about what would Deming do? Yeah. Like if, if um, you know, the executive order and, and Biden said, hey, and he was still alive and he could actually, you know, respond like, what would you do? Like, what if they brought him in? What would right. he tell them? And I, I compiled enough knowledge about Deming. Mm-hmm. To, to feel comfortable to say this is how he would have answered these questions. Mm-hmm. And then I use examples like Josh Corman on Operation Warp Speed, who mm-hmm. directly attributes to me, you, uh, Nicole, and Jez that um, Operation Warp Speed, which was the, 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 the coal chain for the vaccines yeah. at CISA, that's what Josh was doing. Okay. He literally, um, and I got a podcast with him on this, yeah. he literally says it came full circle. What he learned about DevOps from us, huh. he then applied back to sort of non-software supply chain. Like, That's great. Let's go hear so, that story. So that means, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. You, you were involved in the cold chain. But yeah, here's yeah. the, and, and, and Operation Warp Speed. But the point is, yeah. like, undeniably, Josh is telling me, the guy who basically, his one, number one project, which was to secure 
a temperature for those vaccines yeah. in a cold chain, he attributes back to what we what is the lineage of DevOps, Agile, Lean, yeah. Deming, or Toyota Deming. Well, you know, one of the things that really kind of struck me about when you why I think it's important to go back to these the stories, financial stories, because you you you, you I think you've pulled out the evolution, like you pulled out the like the, the, the genesis for some of these some of these things, or the problem is trying to be solved. Because I think why these chains exist and why it's true is I don't think any of us are, no one's really invented anything, right? I think Deming's just a great, he's a great observer. And it's all like physics and psychology, right? Like physics mean like flow and cues and those sort of things. And psychology mean how humans respond and brain, how they think, right? How do you get large or how do you get large groups of people to do anything, right? And I feel like since the beginning of time, whether it's warfare or, you know, or business or politics or whatever, it's all physics and psychology right and, and i feel like it's it's there's these sort of human truths about there's truths about human beings yeah and observational truths and they don't always go with what you think sometimes they're counter they're counter in, you know they're counterintuitive right right um uh and you know i, I think it, it's interesting because seeing sort of like the such a foundational observer of those dynamics through those stories helps you kind of spot these patterns as you go Right. It's almost like one of the things I loved about the lean, you know, the, the folks that came after Deming and really, you know, kind of tried to tried to describe it better. Right. Is sort of the lean lens. Yeah. Right. It's about developing a vision, lean vision. And then when you see problems, it's how you understand the lens through right. which the, you're going uh, you're to break down the problem to the physics and the psychology behind it and come up with a solution. And I feel like, you know, building that lens is not as easy as like reading an encyclopedia that explains it to you. You have to, I think, the experiential side of it. Yeah, yes, totally. Right? Yeah. Kind of like going back to DevOps, the, the culture and the sharing part of it, the sharing part of it, right? Yeah. You have to kind of go through that by seeing the stories, by seeing the yeah. tales, you develop cool. that. Your lens gets 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 stronger. And so it's very interesting how that, that you know, it's another reason I would say, hey, it's great to, to really understand these stories because it will give you a better appreciation for that lens to understand how the lens was developed. Yeah, and you know, and it's two things, right? One is um, you hit on it, and like, it, like, I think this is a really good book. Right? Like, I think it's going to be perceived as a really good book. Mm-hmm. If I'm successful in making it a great book or perceived as a great book, it's that I've, I, you know, after five drafts mm-hmm. and a lot of help from people like you and friends of like, why don't you do it this way? So like, the the sort of my network of friends have been amazing on this is I wanted to make the thing I learned about my book which was that like nobody invented anything here like there was this notion of profound knowledge that was just yeah. sitting out there waiting well, to get captured that's, and my, he, that's my point there he is took no it. Yeah. And he, human beings it's, and he it's took laws it, of nature and human beings and he right? put it yeah. in his manifesto called System yeah. of Profound Knowledge yeah. the other point that like how I got into this mess really is <laughs> a great mess right but is you know when I started reading Golrat um you know, and started really felt like like Golrat was like totally in tune with him, and he is like yeah. you know, um, with all this. I remember listening to Beyond the Goal, mm-hmm. mm. and there's a point in Beyond the Goal, yeah, great, great audio book, great, yeah. like yeah. awesome audio. In the part where where um, Golrat talks about Deming, yeah, and he says, you know, he's like almost like he's giving you a little tip. He says, you know, want to know something different? Deming, myself, Ono, sure, we're all physics majors. Deming was a, f- yeah. a mathematical phys- physics. He got his master's in that. Yeah. And um, and I started thinking, the whole reason I got into the whole... Well, I mean, um, physics is observing the world around you. 
Yeah, and, and right. you know, and they asked Deming one time. They said, "How does a mathematical physics um, guy become, you know, a statistical analysis guy?" Yeah. And he's like, "You know, I always loved the uh, theory of errors <laughs> and theory of errors, which again, <laughs> and then like no, he loved least squares. Like, yeah. so he saw the world very much like if you ever get to hang out with Mark Burgess, you like you see a world in a way like physics and statistics." Yeah. Mark Burgess has told me recently, this is really cool. Yeah. I was trying to get him to tell me like his view of statistics and mm-hmm. analytical statistics versus enumerated. And I told him what I've learned about Deming. And he said, you know what, John? I, you know, in my undergraduate work, I took all the statistics and stuff. He goes, I, didn't, I realized when I went into physics, yeah. I didn't understand what statistics were. So there's some beauty in these physicists looking at the world you know, and yeah. and and Goldratt says this is is we look at the world differently, yeah, because we we have a physics background, and that was that was the original thread I was pulling on is why are these guys so counter to everybody else? Yeah, and the thread my theory was because they came out, of, and not only that they came out of the second scientific revolution, which is the quantum physics, yeah. so that. So they were light in the time when this sort of Newtonian ideas were being sort of breaking apart. Right. They're all getting their physics degree hmm. when the world is changing, which is like, and then you almost can make the comparison of like Newtonian management and quantum management. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because if you look at physics as basically trying to describe how the world works, that you said it's, it's going a layer deeper. Because classic sort of management theorists, whatever, they had their conventional yeah, wisdom they right. built on top. They weren't really saying... How do we fundamentally look for the truth and how this works? That's right. Right? And it's fascinating. And I was laughing when you said about, you know, how the physics and the work in the business world reminds me of that movie Margin Call when they asked uh, the guy, I can't remember his name, the actor who played the young Spock guy, but he, you know, he's, he's describing how we figured out this the this giant financial problem they were in. And he's like, and somebody asked him what his background was. He's yeah. like, well, he's some math genius, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so you're a rocket scientist. He was like, uh, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. And propulsion. He's like, well, how'd you end up here? He's like, well, it's all just numbers. And he yeah. pauses and he goes, and the pay is substantially, the pay is substantially, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. The pay is substantially better, right? So, you, you know, you think about that, that diaspora from, you know, from education to you know, physicists, yeah. right, to, to business. Oh. You know, that, that, that pull, um, it's fascinating, but still it's, it's, oh. it's about how do you describe the systems of so the world. Why is right? Bezos a genius, right? He was a quant. Yeah. He yeah. literally was a quant that read this paper about the future of book selling. Yeah. And dropped everything, moved out to Seattle, and created a bookstore in his garage, right? right? And because he had that math, you know, like I go on and on about this, but John Henry, mm-hmm. when he buys the, uh, the the Red Sox, yeah. why did they the first team to implement real? I mean, Oakland A's did it, but like yeah. they didn't scale it, right? John Henry scales it, like brings in. He was a quant, yeah. yeah. Like, it, but it's the same narrative. They see the world differently than the average person. Yeah. So one more one more question for you here. I know we gotta we gotta wrap up. Um, you know, I always felt like the system of profound knowledge has a bit of a, a marketing problem. It sounds like hubris. Yeah, yeah. They're like, right. oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You invented something and you you documented something and you and you called it the system of profound knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like uh, okay, genius, right? Like uh, so, I just wonder, like you know, how much of that is uh, is it a a thing where it's uh, there's a barrier to entry for yeah, people yeah. into it because. You know, they don't realize he's not saying I'm profound. He's saying when you can see the world in this way, you have yeah. a better understanding of the world than most people. Like, yeah. like, the, like the, this is how you build. Yeah. You. This is how you build your. Like, this is how you 
the, re- the other person on the other side of the table. This is how you are going to build profound knowledge about the world that you're operating in. Not, I'm profound. Yeah. And I'm coming to give you this profound, yeah, yeah, this no. profound knowledge. It's it's a funny, no, it's, it's a funny marketing problem. That's right? exactly. There's two problems. One is that don't no, going back to let person asking him mm. about his experience at band. I mean, nine out of ten people who heard that response said, "What a jerk!" Right, right. And what you had to know, and and you wouldn't know yeah. that like what he really meant was there was this ether of this profound knowledge, right? And and you had to sort of pull it together. Um, so the name is terrible. Um, because you're right. I mean, I don't know how many people, you know, they know I'm a Deming guy, and I tell them, like... So he's a physicist, but not a marketer. Yeah, yeah. He was, no, he was... No. But the, the, other, the other problem, yeah. which is, again, another fascinating thing about this guy, which is... So, like, he's 50 years old when he goes to Japan. I mean, once yeah. they're 50 now, they're like, oh, you know, how can I get on that boat? Like, uh, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, you know, we're down at Boca right now, just to let you know. <laughs> like, uh, you know, we've got some business going on, but we're like taking advantage of some really good stuff. Like, 50, you're already thinking about that. Yeah. 50 is like the midpoint of his career. Yeah. He gets to where he's 80, and for 10 year decade, the most, excuse the pun, profound work that he accomplishes is from like 1980 to 1993. Yeah. He's literally going into every Fortune 100, Coca-Cola, uh, Pfizer, GM, Ford. Like he, he, for 10 years, he is like nonstop at 80 yeah. to 90. And at 91 or two, he sits down and figures, I'm going to put this in a book. Yeah. Everything I learned. Like your capstone like mm. is at at like 91 years old mm. you're going to take and and the last decade of your life has been the most significant work that you've done with a career that included helping us win the war with uh setting um you know the census bureau and doing mm. you know all these things which are all in the book right um but then he dies the the year that the book comes out mm. and so not only is system profound knowledge sort of a, a terrible name that gets misinterpreted but it also, um, it never had a profit. Who who creates a movement? Yeah. Well, think about every Eric Reese, for example. Magic. Eric Reese writes um, his book, um, Lean Startup, mm-hmm. and he died. Oh, God, it, but he yeah. dies that year. I, I understand. I yeah. Understand. There's going to be like that's not going to yeah. be the same story. It's fascinating. Well, that is true, John. It's a great book. I can't wait for yeah. other, pe- other people to. Yeah. To read it well, and uh, see all the conversations that are going to come, that are going to come, are going to come. Yeah, out. I hope so. I mean, again, I think the biggest takeaway that I like I said earlier, if if I can convince people of this transition from this sort of profound knowledge that was waiting to be captured yeah. and a career that turned that into his last manifesto that had nothing to do with hubris, yeah. it was about improving humankind. Yeah. Um, then, like, then if people can see that in the book, then I've done a great job. I think you have. So. Yeah, there you go. Wait Thanks, for man. us. Yeah. Excited. Yeah, good enough, man. Good as always, buddy. Yeah, Thanks yeah. a lot. All right.